This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're preaching through the book of Philippians, you'll remember that we started off with Paul talking to this church. Remember, this is the church in Macedonia. This is first Christian church that was settled in Macedonia. You'll remember that. And uh, that he... Uh, had a very close and deep connection with them. He wrote this letter from prison, and uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the the theme of it is joy, uh, unity. He talks about suffering, but he encourages them. And you'll remember that as we walked through the first 11 verses, uh, Paul was encouraging uh, them from prison, but his entire focus was not on himself, but rather on Christ and Christ alone. In his opening uh, message, he said that he reminded them of who they were. Do you remember there in verse uh, 1, he says, to all the saints. And the question is, are you a saint? The the, uh, answer is absolutely yes, you are. If you're saved, you're a saint. You're set apart. Okay, that's what he meant. And he's encouraging these people because of the great torment, basically, that they were living in. And he said, you're saints. And he then encouraged them and told them, you have partnered with the right thing. Do you remember that? You've partnered with the gospel. Now, when you partner with the gospel, you also partner with its consequences, don't you? And Paul elaborated on that. Um, He said that, you know, not only my consequences, but you're going to have some of your own. And they were suffering from that. Uh, But he said there in verse 6, he says, But I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a great encouraging word. And he said, you will be ready, and he, and he encouraged them to continue in their love and their pure, uh, purity and that they would be blameless before the day of Christ. And if you were here on Christmas Eve, you'll remember Pastor Grant talking about that, the second advent, and oh, what a holiday to look forward to when Jesus comes riding on the white horse and it's written on his robe, faithful and true, King of kings, Lord of lords. And Paul says, you'll be ready for that day. Be encouraged. Uh, In the second part, when we went through uh, verses 12 through 18, you'll remember again that we talked about Paul and he was off the streets. That wasn't his modus operandi, if you will. Uh, He was in jail. And uh, the question that we ask is, uh, what did we hear Paul say in difficult times? Do you remember that? And we talked about uh, uh, the leaning tower of Pisa pizza okay and the fact that that was the uh, architectural boof of the millennium and we likened that to Paul's situation didn't we Paul was in jail what did we hear him say well the imperial guards all the prisoners in fact people on the street they didn't focus on the fact that Paul was in jail but the fact that he was what Telling them about Christ, wasn't he? Okay, that's what they heard him say. And then Paul's attitude even toward those that were around him, that were outside. And you remember we talked about he had rivals for whatever reason. But uh, Paul's attitude toward them. In verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? In English, who cares? What? Christ is being preached. That's all he cared about. So when he was in jail in his difficult circumstances, he preached Christ and Christ alone. And then we ask ourselves the question, 
What did people hear us say in difficult times? See, it really wasn't about the circumstance. Uh, That was unplanned. The leaning tower was not planned. But when the people in the port of Pisa got to the point of quit saying, come fix the tower, instead they said, come see the miracle, six million people a year showed up, didn't they? Same way with Paul. In the midst of circumstances that he had not planned, what did they hear him say? And in the reality, what we do say in those times matter. And we kind of concluded with the fact, can we say with Paul, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So as we move in now to the latter part of chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18b and we'll run all the way through 30. And believe it or not, 18b, it says, yes, and I will rejoice. This is the paramount, this is the final word, if you will, in this passage. If Paul were in a press conference today, he would have made the statement, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he would have followed it by saying, we'll circle back around to that. Okay. So let's read the scripture. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let me give it away just up front so that we can get this rolling down the track correctly. The emphasis of the passage is in verse 27. Look at it again. If you highlight in your Bible, here it is. If you don't highlight in your Bible, just lean over and highlight in your neighbor's Bible. Okay? Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There it is. Okay, so keep that in mind now, because really what's going to beg the question here is, so Paul, what does a manner of life worthy of the gospel actually look like? 
So let's start off here. We've already given away one thing. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, but we'll circle back to that. Look at verses 19 through 20. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let me just translate that for you very quickly. Paul is is beginning to answer the question, what does a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ look like? He's giving you two things. Number one, he says, first of all, he says a life worthy of the gospel is a life that lives unashamed of the gospel. Do you see that? He's saying, I'm going to be unashamed of the gospel. And then he goes on to say he's going to be fearless in honoring Christ because of the gospel. So first, he says he will not be ashamed. What's that mean? First of all, ashamed of what? Well, ashamed of the gospel. And he says he's going to stand firm. He's not going to waver. He's not going to be ashamed. And then he goes on to say he's going to do it with full courage. There's your definition of fearless. He's not frightened by any opposition. And has he had conflict? Absolutely. Conflict follows the man. He's been in prison. He's been beat. He's on and on down the line. You can read about it, but countless times... Uh, The man's life is littered with conflict. In fact, uh, Christ told Ananias in Acts chapter 9, if you'll remember, that uh, Ananias, Jesus said, I'm going to tell him how much he has to suffer for my sake. Do you remember that? So, yes, it had come true. But the result for, for Paul was that if he lives, he's going to suffer for the gospel But if he dies, it's going to be unwavering, without fear, and it's clear evidence to those around him that he could not be dissuaded from the gospel. He could not, he cannot, he would not, he will not be dissuaded from the gospel. So when he begins to give these real details now of what a manner of life worthy of the gospel looks like, he says it's going to be a life for me that's unashamed of the gospel and fearless because of the gospel. And trust me, he's lived in enough conflict that this is a huge statement. And then I reflected back on, on actually the guy's name was Red Sanders. That's his nickname. And he said winning isn't everything. And when you look at Paul's life, you can say, well, Maybe he was right. So what else? Keep looking. Verse 21 through 26. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, stop right there. There's your refrigerator magnet. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that it's not true. What I am saying is not the emphasis of the passage. Okay? It's the reason. It's the because. Do you understand that? Do you see the word for? For me to live, he's, he said all these things. Is You know what? I'm going to live my life unashamed. I'm going to live my life fearless. Verse 21, because. Okay, here's the reason code. Because to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's just giving his reason. For his life that's worthy of the gospel and he's fearless he's unashamed why because if i live christ if i die christ do you see that look at verse 23 
I am hard-pressed between the two. Okay, what's he talking about? Between two what? Do you know? Life and death, right? Okay. So he says that in 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Now, don't skip over this. If Paul lives, what's his life like? About right where he is, in prison, waiting for the next beating, waiting for the next time to be run out of town. You understand that? If Paul lives, the conflict continues. Okay? Yet he's torn. (laughs) He's torn. Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. And look what his desire is. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Why? Because that's far better. Can I tell you, he would have made the same statement if he'd been sitting on a bag of Oreos with a glass of milk in his hand. It didn't matter whether things were going good or things were going bad for Paul. He would have made the same statement. He wanted to be with Christ. And I often wonder, could I make that statement? His desire, his heart, his passion was to be with Christ because he says it's far better. It's a win. It's a gain. Do you see that? Verse 24, but, that word erases everything that you just said. You realize that, right? But. To remain in the flesh. Stop right there. To remain in flesh is what? Do you remember? It's to remain in the conflict. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue uh, with you all for the progress and joy in the face. Let me just tell you, Paul's given you two things already of what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. It's unashamed, it's fearless. He's just given you the third one. And that's his make the difficult choice, Philippi. To stay in the conflict. Stay in there. Why? For the glory of Christ. How did Paul know that he was going to continue to live? I don't know. Do I believe that God told Paul things that he did not write down? Yes, I do. Is it possible that God told uh, Paul that he was going to get out of there? It's possible. That's not the passage, though. Don't go down that hole. What is the gospel What does the life worthy of the gospel look like? Unashamed, fearless because of the gospel, plus standing side by side with the church at Philippi, making the difficult choice to stay in this life and endure the conflict. Do you see it? Again, was Red Sanders right? Winning isn't everything. Look at verse 27. I want you to notice now there's a shift in the language, okay? Paul, in the first part, was talking about who? He was talking about himself, wasn't he? He says, I'm going to be live my life unashamed. I'm going to live my life fearless. I'm making the difficult choice to stay with you. I'd rather be with Christ. Now he's talking to Philippi. He's talking to the church. Listen closely. 
Here's the emphasis. Only let your manner of life, your being the church at Philippi, manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now stop right there. When you're talking about your manner of life, what that meant in that time, in that language was as a citizen, as a citizen in Philippi, that's your manner of life. Okay, how you live your life day in and day out. That's what that phrase means. And Paul's saying, this is what your citizenship should look like, okay? And why did he say that? Well, apparently they were, they were struggling because the conflict that had set in in Philippi had challenged their manner of life. In fact, when conflict sets in, can I remind you that it will always weaken a firm stance. It will at least challenge it. Chaos threatens unity and fear will make you run from conflict. And therefore, he's making these points to the church, and he's trying to get them to the same point he is. He's sitting in prison saying, I'm living unashamed, I'm living fearlessly, and I'm going to make the difficult choice to stay in the conflict for the glory of Christ. Now, let's read on, and I want you to see if you pick up any similarities. Look at this. First of all, he uses the word only. That word coupled with what he says next, so whether I come and see you or not, translates is no matter what. At all costs. No matter what happens. That's the English translation right there of only. No matter what happens. And he's urging them, and he says, first of all, uh, may I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, you'll notice the word spirit is a small s, okay? That's not the Holy Spirit. It's their spirit, okay? Because it's challenged right now. And he's saying that I want you to stand firm. Standing firm in that sense was very much a military posture. And the military of the Romans uh, was such that this was almost a creed of a Roman soldier. Stand firm, okay? And what it meant was... No matter how the battle was going, whether you were slaughtering them or they were slaughtering you, you stood your post. You understand that? It was a military term. Stand firm. Is it me or does that just ring home as I'm unashamed of what's going on here? The military person, whether they were winning, whether they were losing, the Roman century stood firm. No matter what was going on, they were unashamed. And Paul is saying, this needs to be your posture. And he's urging them. And then number two, he says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving how? Side by side. Does that remind you of anything Paul has already said? I'm making a choice to come back to you and stand firm with you side by side in this conflict. And he's encouraging them to do the same thing. Make the difficult choice. Living for the gospel. Choosing to strive with one another for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Does that sound familiar? 
Do you see where Paul has given his manner of life that is worthy of the gospel? And he's encouraging them with the same three things. He's saying, no matter what your opponents do, don't be frightened. You need to be fearless in the uh, conflict. You need to be fearless of death. Why? Because it's a clear sign to your opponents that they're going to lose and you're going to win. What was the manner of life worthy of the gospel like for Philippi? Well, it was the same as Paul's. Same thing. He told him the same thing. He just used different words. Unashamed. Standing firm. With full courage. Live or die. Not frightened by any of the, opponent, any of the opponents. Making difficult decisions to live in the conflict. Striving side by side. All of this. He gives real details on what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. So he's giving you real details. Look at verse 29 through 30 because here he gives you a real warning. He's giving you real details of what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. And now in verse 29 through 30, he gives you a real warning about a life worthy of of the gospel. Look what it says. For it has been granted you, and that word granted means gifted, given, okay? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, okay, stop right there. Here's some good news, at least, okay, in the midst of all of this. He's saying that it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe. He's already hit that point in verse 1 to all the saints. Okay, believers, it's been granted to them, given to them, that they are saints, that they're believers. But, okay, also suffer for their sake. He said that in 2 Timothy 2. In 2 Timothy 3.12, look what he said. This isn't the first time. Paul's used this phrase. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, is that not what we're talking about? In Christ, Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Didn't Jesus say the same thing over in John chapter 6? You know what? They persecute you boys. Uh, persecute me. They'll persecute you boys too. He said that. That's my version. But the reality is that he says you're going to be persecuted. How plain can he be? And he goes on in verse 30, he says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's the conflict that Paul's life was, suffering for Christ. He had it. He still has it. He's going to have it. And he's saying to the church at Philippi, guess what? It's going to happen to you too. You're not going to retire from this thing. Can you imagine the reaction at the church when they read his letter and they got to this point? Remind me again. <laughs> How did I get a sign up for this? So maybe Red Sanders was right. Winning isn't everything. You know, Paul, you probably could have ended that chapter a little more on a high note. Maybe you skipped over that point. You know, I get the three-day details. Okay, I'm going to stand firm, not ashamed. 
I'm going to make a difficult choice. I'm somebody to make a hymn out of that and get in a hymn. You know, oh, we'll sing that. It's okay, good. But then Paul guarantees him, you're going to suffer and you're going to be in the same conflict that I am. Well, if you remember in verse 5, he's already said that. He partnered with me, and these things go along with it. Okay? You're going to be engaged in the same conflict. There's the real warning. And folks, if you haven't already been engaged in that, you will be because Christianity is slowly being erased. And there will be a day when you won't see Christmas come around because that will be taken off the calendar. Same way with Easter. Dig your heels in. Can we stop right there for just a second? Let me ask you. Is Paul not calling us to the same life that Christ lived for you and I? The overall issue here is the gospel, okay? That's what had caused the conflict, if you will, in Philippi. Because they believed that God had come to earth as a baby and he was born of a virgin and that he lived a perfect life and that he took their sins, my sins, your sins to the cross. He was buried. Three days later, they arose. That's what they stood for. That's what had the conflict going, okay? That was why Paul was in jail, okay? Paul is given evidence of a life worthy of the gospel, and he's talked about that. But isn't that what Christ did for you and I? Think about that. Can I remind you that Christ's life didn't look like a winner? Did it? Conflict followed him everywhere in his ministry. He was dogged all the way to the cross. Didn't look like a winner. Didn't look like a life that you want to choose. In fact, it looked like anything but. In fact, when Christ died, that didn't look like a winning life or a worthy life. So maybe Red Sanders was right. Christians? Winning isn't everything. Day three, post-crucifixion. What happened then? Who's the winner now? Okay, when he walked out of the tomb, he had death by the throat, and he says, oh no, I win. And you realize that when he walked out, winning became everything. We have a new passion now. It's worthy of the gospel. The fuel behind standing in the conflict, the fuel behind not being ashamed, the fuel behind being fearless is the resurrection. You win. Why? Because he won. Okay? And Paul is saying there's a life that's worthy of the gospel because of Christ's victory. It's not something that you have to do. It's something you want to do. It's your passion. It's not an obligation. Do you understand that? That's what we have now. Look at Christ's life in his passion for us in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Look at that very quickly. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's living the 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 life worthy of the gospel marked out for us fixing our eyes on who the winner the winner 
Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Look at verse 2. He chose joy for the joy set before him. Verse 2. He chose to endure conflict, pain, and suffering uh, on the cross for us. It says he endured the cross, scorning our shame. He was unashamed of me because he took it on the cross publicly. And he, and he said he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured. He was fearless. He endured the hostility from opposition sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I remind you that he also made the difficult choice to stay, in fact, to come and be with us. Look at John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not uh, to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as the winner. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God was something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, the winner made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. The winner humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see he made the difficult choice to come and die for you and I? He stood side by side with us. And he took our sin. Christ's finished work at the cross, followed by his resurrection, guarantees. Look back up at verse 19. I want you to see this. He guaranteed what Paul says that he knew. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that will turn out for my what? Deliverance. Can you say winner? That's what it is. It turns out for me to win in all of this. He won it. No matter what Paul was going to go through, no matter what you're going to go through, Philippi, you win. He's given us the real details. He's given us the real warning. And can I remind you now as we circle back that he's given us uh, the real outcome. Because you see, their manner of life worthy of the gospel is the same as our manner of life worthy for the gospel. It's a manner of life that does not uh, live for Christ out of obligation, but out of passion because it's a fruit of our redemption. It's a manner of life that is not going to be recognized by the world. It's like, don't set out to get your name put on a building. Sit out and make sure your name's in the book of life. Okay? It's not a work salvation, but it's a passion of fruit that comes from our salvation. It's a life that's unashamed and fearless. It's a life that doesn't back out of the difficult conversation. It's a life that's not silent. It's, a not, it's not a life that's indifferent. How indifferent are we to the world? It's a life that makes a difficult choice to get engaged in those, con in those conversations. It's a life that chooses and accepts to suffer for the glory of Christ. 
in a life that knows in reality that the worst thing that anybody could do to us is send us home. Winner. 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 What does a manner of life worthy of the gospel look like? Paul gave us real details. He gave us a real warning. Verse 19, he gave us the outcome. You're going to be delivered, Philippi, Cedar Springs. You're going to win. And he's urging them and encouraging them. Well, I have a confession about Red Sanders. I didn't tell you everything Red Sanders said. Sounded strange to have a winning coach. His overall record in football was 102-41-3. and He won 102 games. He lost 44, and he tied three. At UCLA, he won 66. He lost 14, and he tied one. He led UCLA Bruins to the only national championship. In fact, he led the football team to the only football team in history that led the nation in both defense and offense. Can you imagine this guy walking into the locker room and saying, Winning isn't everything. In Greek, that translates as, oh, huh. (laughs) Let me finish the quote for you. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. You thought Vince Lombardi said it. No. 20 years before Vince Lombardi. Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And that's what Christ did for you and I, the only thing. He won. Listen, Philippi. Listen, Cedar Springs. Deliverance is the only thing. He's already talked about it in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that God who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You win. Winning is the only thing. It's not about the outcry along the way. It's about the outcome at the end. His emphasis was live your life worthy of the gospel. His outcome was that you're going to be delivered. But the reason is Jesus Christ. He won it all. If you want a definition of winning is the only thing, there it is. If you want a New Year's resolution, here it is. Let my manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's already won it, no matter what. No matter what happens in 2023. Rejoice. There it is. Circle back to it, Paul. Yes, and I will rejoice. Why? Because Christ won it all. Winning was the only thing for Jesus, and he gave it to us. Live your life manner worthy of the gospel in 2023. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I couldn't win anything when it comes to my sin, when it comes to my deprivation. Father, I'm the furthest thing from holy. Yet, You won for me. And Father, I realize that that doesn't let me off the hook. 
that I need to adopt a manner of life that's worthy, that tells the rest of the world who you are. And Father, I would pray that that would be on all of our hearts. That in this new year, however we mark days and weeks, that our only desire, our passion, would be to stand firm and live our life worthy to glorify your name. Holy Spirit, come, help us. And thank you for the new beginning. In Jesus' name.